Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and joining me again for the second time on the show is my good friend, Brandon Washington from BWash Media, all the way out in Dallas, Texas. Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I do have to Not say, Dallas, I, I'm in Houston. Yeah, I knew that. I like, all my Houstonians would have like completely checked me if I didn't make that yep. correction. Houston no, no, and Dallas, I, different places. As you said that, as you said that, I started to realize that. <laughs> uh, let me do that again because I feel like a dummy. <laughs> oh no, right. you're good. I mean, people would have just ran with it, but like, like as long as I, as long as I rep the H, we're good. Okay, okay. I won't redo it then. Um, <laughs> In fact, yeah, you were telling me last time we talked, which by the way was on what Sunday or Friday? Friday. Friday. Yeah. So we let's let's just get this straight. So yeah, I we were gonna do this interview on Friday, and uh, called Brandon, and his voice sounded like really hoarse, and uh, you know you're just going through something, had a cold or something, and I was like, mm-hmm. hey, like it doesn't even matter. Like let's just let's just do it later. Like you know, no pressure. Um, turns out we ended up talking for like two hours like <laughs> as friends uh, and then like the whole time we're like ah we should have been recording this so um i don't know we're just good friends so we yeah have a lot it was a great conversation I, I mean honestly i like just talking to you so whether it's recorded same or here. not it's fun <laughs> same here dude and uh your voice was totally fine but it, it sounds much better now um well, so good. I, I feel like i'm about 85 percent. so you know <laughs> it is what it is the information is the same. It just is going to sound a little different. <laughs> so Brandon and I met um, in person at NAB, and we kind of go over this in our first interview, which you can listen to on the show. Um, but I just think it it's still so cool how like I was a one DC a one DC fanboy. I still have mine here. <laughs> you remember this camera? Brandon? I do. I always wanted that <laughs> camera. But you had the one DX Mark II, which I always wanted because it has autofocus. <laughs> So we both had like coveted cameras, but, um, I was watching your content at the time. And like, I just happened to see you walking around at NAB 2018, I guess, or 2019, I think. Yeah. We were just on the streets of Vegas. Yeah. And we just, I was just like, are you Brandon Washington? I was like, it was a total fanboy moment. I think Um, that's the first time I ever was recognized in youtube like from youtube ever <laughs> really yes <laughs> That's awesome. i like i'll never forget that moment not only because i made a great friend that night but yeah. like it was like that first time and i was like oh my god my subscribers are real people <laughs> <laughs> that's what i miss so much about going to events man is like I, I haven't been to a, a proper event in like two years and that's yeah. the thing that makes it so real for all of us is actually meeting all the people who watch the stuff who you know listen to this podcast i mean i I, this podcast has really existed throughout the whole pandemic. So a lot of the people that started listening to this show, I've definitely never met. So mm-hmm. um, I would love to do that again. I really miss NAB. That was such a fun convention to go to. Yeah, same here. I, I, it was kind of like my Mecca every year, but yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get back to it soon. So you've got a lot of things that are going on in your career and in your life. Um <laughs> it's kind of endless really. And we have been talking about it nonstop. Even before we were recording this podcast, we started kind of going on a rant about work and (laughs) and stuff. Um, And we were like, oh shoot, we need to actually record this thing. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but one thing that I just want to get right out the gate here is the red. I feel like you've become (laughs) like the red guy 
over the last <laughs> year. Um, you bought a Komodo and you yep. even bought the new, uh, what's it called? The V Raptor. Dude. So tell me about the red and your red journey over the last year. Cause um, yeah, you've really kind of <laughs> gone full into it. Yeah, I know it was not. I mean, so full transparency, when I was first starting out in this industry, like that's when the reds first came out and that was like the goal, you know, that was like the dream. It was like one day, maybe that'll happen. And so that's always kind of been there. But um, for me, I was shooting on, you know, like you mentioned before, like the 1DX Mark II, like I definitely went down the DSLR route. And then when mirrorless cameras became more popular, I went down that route. And then um, it was really the year that the Black Magic Pocket Cinema Camera came out that I kind of made that jump over to cinema cameras and stopped using photography cameras to shoot video and started really focusing on actual video cameras. And, you know, when Red announced the Komodo and it was going to be $6,000, which, I mean, mind you, that's a little bit more than what I paid for the 1DX Mark II. Um, but now I was getting red raw, I was getting the red sensor and that dynamic range and the skin tones and everything. I was like, all right, this is my chance to jump into the red ecosystem and just see if I like it. And at the time, I was also growing my business. So I started hiring on editors to work within the company. So a lot of stuff was changing. But I can tell you, when I got the Komodo and I started using it, I realized kind of that red difference, like what made reds really stand out. And once you kind of work in red raw on a consistent basis, it's really hard to try to edit video and anything else. Even if the project doesn't necessarily call for red, because you have so much latitude in post, you just are spoiled through the entire color process. So I shot on the Komodo for basically about a year, loving every second of it. And then Red announced the Raptor. And, you know, when they started releasing specs on the Raptor, I, at first I was like, I was like, oh, yes, a new Red to partner with my Komodo. This would be great. But then they were like, 8K, full frame. I was like, out of my price range. <laughs> like, instantly I was like, this camera is going to be $60,000 because that's where the Monstro was sitting. And it had roughly some of the same specs, but this was supposed to be a newer camera. So I immediately thought, okay, this is definitely going to be monstral price. But it came out at like roughly half the price of the Monstro. So you literally got a camera that was better than the Monstro that was $60,000, but they gave you a V Raptor that was about half the price. And for that, I was like, yeah, this time to get the big brother to my Komodo. So my Komodo can really sit where it's supposed to sit, and that's in that B cam spot, and I can have a V Raptor. And again, my company is at a place now where I have employees and we have offices and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, HR and all that fun stuff. Um, but that's the reason why we decided to jump full steam into the red was just because there's just something that you get out of working in that red raw. And I just wanted that in the V Raptor on the full frame side and also the ability to have some of those higher frame rates because the Komodo is fairly limited with the super 35 sensor and having, you know, almost no high frame rates without crazy crops. So the the V Raptor kind of solved all the problems that I had with the Komodo and it was half of what I thought it was going to cost. So it seemed like a worthy investment and it's pretty much already paid itself off 
um, just by taking it out on new jobs. So it's, I mean, I love the investment. I love the camera, but yeah, I guess I shoot red now. <laughs> That's amazing. You're, you're just like uh, Marquez Brownlee, like taking the, the red um, banner with, uh, with you on YouTube. I mean, you're not uh, <laughs> using it primarily as a YouTube camera, but have you used it as a, a YouTube camera? And what are your thoughts on using the Komodo and now the the Raptor as like a primary YouTube camera with all of your experience now? Like Marquez really is kind of in his own world with that. There's a couple yeah. of other t- tech YouTubers that also do that. Do you actually believe now that you have all this experience that that's a little overkill or do you see the reasons why he chooses to do that. So I will say that like when it comes to the the images that you get out of the red, they are unmatched to me, honestly. I mean, the flexibility, the raw, like you really do have the most. Uh, and when you're shooting content for YouTube, you know, if you are shooting products or you are sh- or you're actually like filming something else that's not just you, um, I do see there being a benefit in trying to get the best production quality you can. I mean, for Marquez, he's trying to show off these phones or these other pieces of tech in a way that, you know, you can feel like you are there physically holding the device yourself. That is the experience he is trying to present. And so why not do it at the highest quality you possibly can? That being said, if you are filming yourself, Shooting on a red is probably one of the most frustrating things you could possibly do if you are like a one-man band and you're trying to film yourself. That's one of the reasons why I still have other cameras around that are great for that. For example, right now, I'm shooting this whole podcast setup with the Sony FX3, which is a fantastic camera, has great autofocus, and it's one of my go-to cameras when I have to be the one that films myself. And I need to worry about things like audio and focus and all those other elements. You just, that's too much for one person to do with a red. So one of the big things I always say is, you know, if you're working with a team consistently, then yeah, definitely consider the red, you know, but if it's just you or your other person is focused on audio or your other person is focused on lights and you can't at least have two hands on the camera, then I would say, you know, it's probably overkill, especially just for YouTube. Yeah. And I mean, when I did my review with the Komodo with Indie Mogul, and by the way, everybody makes fun of me because it sounds like I'm saying kimono like multiple <laughs> times in that review, um, <laughs> which I kind of agree with. <laughs> so I was going to say, uh, I remember that video. It, it, I thought it was like a, like a joke. the red kimono like i just kind of was letting it roll off the tongue i definitely knew what i was saying but i may have actually said kimono a couple times and just left it in but um, you're the one you're the one who told me one of the best (laughs) hacks about youtube is like say a mistake on purpose so that people in the comments like can start to argue about it or say like hey you were it's not on purpose you don't make the mistake on purpose but if you make the mistake i leave it in and then i trust my audience in the comment section to correct me you know Uh like it's like if i'm in the middle of edit like i'm not gonna go back and reshoot something especially if it's like vloggy type like you can't you can't go back and fix it so Either you could do the little asterisk in the corner to correct yourself, or you just let your audience, you know, you know, have your back in the comments and it gives them more to talk about. Because honestly, in the comment sections where I learn a lot of stuff, like I've said stuff wrong on accident 
thought it was right, got the comment section, realized I was 100% wrong and learned a lot from it. And so, you know, YouTube is one of those places where there's a great back and forth. Uh, you just got to be careful about going in the comments. It's not always, it's not always positive. But anyways, yeah, totally. Anyways, back to the red thing. Like I was really kind of impressed with the app and I don't know if you've had any experience using it mm -hmm. um, or have at least tried it as a tripod camera for self-filming. Like the autofocus isn't terrible with the like touch to focus. Is it just not reliable enough for yeah. you when you've got the Sony? Yeah. So, I mean, it really comes down to like, what's the purpose of this now? Um, you know, I will say that you, you technically can do it with the app, but I find that the app, like the phone physically needs to be fairly close to the camera. It does not have great range whatsoever. Uh, and then also you have to be working with RF lenses at that point, which I mean, don't get me wrong. RF lenses are fantastic, especially, you know, like we have a, we have a, a Canon R6 that we use for a lot of BTS stuff around here. And we use RF lenses with that camera. But I just personally feel like when I'm using a cinema camera, I want to be using cinema lenses. And so at that point, all the autofocus features are out the window. And, you know, even Red, as of right now, like the Komodo's been out for about a year and a half, almost two years now. And their autofocus system is still technically part of the beta process. So even though they have full built versions of the operating system on the Raptor and on the Komodo, when you go into the autofocus, if you have an RF lens, it's still beta and it's not fantastic. So I would say if you are going to use it, maybe use an RF lens. Do not do continuous autofocus. That thing hunts like crazy. But if you want to do like, you know, single shot where it just will lock focus and then it won't rack anymore, just be careful of moving back and forth between the camera. You can get away with it. But at that point, I say, why not just use like an FX3 or a Canon R6 or something so, that has so what you're more saying, reliable. So what you're saying, the autofocus on the red is beta and the autofocus on Sony, Sony is alpha. <laughs> Oh God, that's a good one. That's yeah, a good one. Have you done? Have you used that before? No, I literally just like as you were saying all that, my mind thought of that joke. And uh, if you get it, then you get it. Um, so if you don't, I have not... <laughs> until you release this to use that joke as many times as I possibly can. Because <laughs> I one hundred percent am going to steal that joke. <laughs> Please do. Um, okay, cool. And then, so the V Raptor, uh, tell me about your experience with that. Cause I have not had any hands on time with that. Is it very similar to the Komodo? Would you almost say it's just kind of a full frame, better Komodo, or is there a lot of things about it that you just really love? That yeah. Are I mean, new? I personally think that like, you know, the sensor and just the full frameness of it makes a huge difference. I mean, the Super 35 sensor is a little limited, especially in, you know, low light situations or just like how it handles the shadows. The V Raptor miles better. But like I I have this problem when I talk about the V Raptor because I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I love everything about it. It's fantastic, blah 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 blah." But it's also like a $30,000 camera. Like it it better be, you know? Like it's it's kind of like you know hyping up something it's like oh my god the lambo was so amazing i was like yeah it's a freaking lambo it better be right and so that's the same thing i have with the v raptor like 
I love it, and I think it's a fantastic camera. The image is beautiful. Some of my favorite shots we've got this year came in the latter part of the year once we started introducing this camera, and it's it's just a fantastic camera to use. I will say, though, I 100% enjoy filming with the Komodo more than I enjoy filming with the Raptor, primarily because that touchscreen on the Komodo is like, it's just so easy. It's so easy. And I really wish they would have brought that touchscreen over to the V Raptor. They didn't. There's like this button interface and it's slow and it's a little clunky. And so, um, you know, I have the monitor on order, but I haven't got it in yet. It's the touchscreen seven inch monitor. So I'm assuming once that comes in, my use case will be a little bit better. And then also I use my app. I actually normally have it hooked up to my iPad mini and that helps with the workflow. But if you don't have the phone or it hooked up to some type of device, and as I said, the touchscreens haven't gotten shipped out to everybody yet, um, it pushing those buttons on the side, they're they're not ideal. I mean, simple things like just trying to magnify in so you can go ahead and, you know, pull focus and make sure your focus is tack sharp can take like, you know, easily 20 to 30 seconds. And it doesn't sound like much, but when you have a client or you're on set and you're just trying to quickly just magnify in, it'd be much nicer to just tap on the screen to do that. Well, Red has kind of always been known for having incredible touchscreen support. I mean, the touchscreens themselves, especially on those older reds were basically like early Android phone level, like in terms of mm-hmm. like when you, when you would try to change the ISO, you end up like swiping it like five times over and over. Um, and I was always just like, ah, freaking dad, work like an iPhone, you know, but <laughs> um, they got better over time and stuff. And I think small HD now is making some that work for it too, right? Like they're kind of yeah. partnered together. So actually the the one that Red Red did something really unique with the Komodo and with the Raptor is like they're not actually making all the accessories. They're partnering with companies to make the accessories. So like for example, I just happen to have them here, but like these two like Red official memory cards. So like this is the uh the this is the CF Express and this is the CFast card and they're both branded. They say Red on them, but like they're actually made by Angel Bird. Like they, and they say it. They have Angel Bird's logo and everything on it. Um, the same with the monitor. The monitor that is the official red monitor for the V Raptor is actually made by Small HD. And so it's doing a couple of things. It's, you know, one, it's, you know, bringing in the actual industry leaders in those areas. So maybe now Red can actually just focus more on their cameras and their customer support, which I can say is fantastic. Uh, I've had some support with the V Raptor already, and they're just amazing every time I talk to them. But uh, I will also say that, like, the accessories that even the Red branded accessories are, in my opinion, better than the original Red accessories. And I think that's just because Red's kind of giving some of that, you know, attention to detail to other areas and bringing in partners that can focus on the accessories the right way. And they're doing what they do best. You know, small HD makes monitors. Why not have them make the red monitor? Totally. That's a brilliant idea. And I'm surprised it took them so long to figure that out because it's a great way to kind of offload the work that they don't really want to do. They're still a part of it. So it still kind of has that red touch. If you look at the monitor, it still looks like one of those red monitors. In fact, 
Um, if you remember the, I think the original like Epic one, I think it said Red Pro 7 on it or something, 7.0. Mm-hmm. Is that what the old one said? I think. Um, but Something I remember every like that. <clears throat> every time we do a shoot with the red, people would see the monitor and they're like, "Oh, are you shooting on the uh, the old Red Pro 7? <laughs> I'm like, "No, that's the monitor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's just the monitor." <laughs> such a muggle! Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Every gripe that I was running into with the uh, Komodo, the Raptor solved it. Like. And that's kind of mentally where I am, where like I was having, you know, like I was saying like, oh, my Komodo, like sometimes the shadows are super muddy and we're having to crush them. I mean, you know, what is exposed properly looks fantastic. But if you have anything lost in the shadows, it's really hard to bring those things back. And then, you know, if I wanted to shoot at full uh, the full sensor in 6K, um, I was limited to, you know, 24, 30, or I think it could do 40 frames per second, which really isn't all that useful to me. So I was like, oh, I can't do any slow motion unless I have to crop in or window in on the sensor, which, you know, you have to do because it's raw. Um, but with a super 35 sensor windowing in even more, it just was even more, it was even less of a frame I had to work with. And so all of those things, though, the V Raptor fixed them. And so right now I'm kind of in this state of bliss with the V Raptor where like I see other cameras coming out today and some of them seem, you know, crazy fantastic. Like the new Canon R5C that just came out, like that camera seems amazing, but like I'm not going to go sell my V Raptor for it. Like with the V Raptor and the Komodo, I really feel like I'm in a state of, like, okay, I love my cameras and nothing else is really coming out. That's making me say, I want to sell everything and jump ship. And that's really where I was a couple of years ago, where I was jumping from Blackmagic to Sony to Canon, trying to find something that would like, like, you know, satisfy what I wanted to get out of a camera. I find that these two cameras together, they pretty much do everything I need minus photos. While you're saying all that, it brings to mind uh, a tweet that I posted uh, like last week, and I know you agree with this, and I just want to call it out. There's no piece of gear, there's no material possession that can ever satisfy us, like and fulfill us, right? Like I think as gear nerds, uh, I struggle with like I need this to be happy, you know. And it's like yeah, this camera here, the One DC, for years was that for me, and I still hold on to it because it's kind of like. Uh, you know, like a fossil that I love to have and own as like a, a thing that I wanted to achieve one day. But once you, once I got the one DC, I was like, cool, I got it. Eh, it's okay. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of over it now. And like, I'm shooting on the C70 now, which when I was starting out would be a complete and total dream to have what this camera is capable of. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like bored with it. And it's awesome that you're so satisfied with what you have. I think it's important for all of us, no matter what stage you're at, to try to, you know, be content, you know, and, and also like suck it dry with what that camera is capable of doing and just learn it and make it as good as possible. But that being said, (laughs) the money that you're spending, like so many people spend so much money on lenses and matte boxes and accessories to try to finagle something to be better. And sometimes it's better to just kind of save up your money for a couple extra months or even another year to then put that towards a purchase like a red or a C70 or a Sony FX6, something that's like a real true 
cinema camera that's a little bit more expensive than you want to spend in the long run, that camera will serve you as a better workhorse um, because it has all those things built in. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I find that at least for me, when it comes to gear in general, like I know a lot of people are like, Oh, just use what you have and just make it work. But I believe that like, it's okay to have aspirations. You know, aspirations are the reason why I am where I am today. Like I, like I wanted to have these cameras and I wanted to have a team and I wanted to grow my business to these places. And I didn't necessarily have to do any of those things, you know, but it was that desire that pushed me forward, especially during those late night edits or dealing with those difficult clients or whatever it might've been. It was those aspirations that pushed me forward. So I think having a dream camera in mind is huge because it gives you something to work towards. Uh, and I think you should you should get a camera that you actually want to use because it'll actually motivate you to want to go out and film more. Like I've gone out and filmed probably more passion projects and tried different things with the Raptor and with the Komodo than I ever did with some of the other cameras that I was just using because these cameras motivate me to want to go out and use them and I enjoy it. But do know that like like you mentioned earlier, like that happiness, it's fleeting. Like you're going to buy that new camera and you're going to go through the honeymoon phase. And after a while, it's not going to have that same, you know, that same tingle anymore, but it's okay. Like, you know, you should go at, at that point, like gear and material possessions are never going to 100% satisfy you all the time. It's, it's not possible. I mean, yeah, that's we, the whole definition of happiness. It's temporary. The only way exactly. to experience happiness is to also not experience happiness to know the difference. So, yeah, and and you and I really understand what joy is and fulfillment through our right. marriage, through our our faith, through our our relationship with our kids. Like that's 100%. where that's where true fulfillment comes from. There's the like wholesome moment of the podcast. There you go. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the more you know, this is a good clip. You just use that as a clip. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, Brandon. Actually, if you guys watch or subscribe to the Golden Hour podcast YouTube channel, you may have seen my little announcement that. The uh, you know the YouTube channel is turning into Eclipse slash YouTube Shorts channel, and Brandon, with our initial call, kind of helped push me over the edge and just make it happen. So thanks, Brandon, for that. Hopefully, no it problem. works. If it no, doesn't, it, I'll, it will I'll work. It'll work. No, it'll work. It'll work. Just get those <laughs> thumbnails down. Trust me, it'll work. <clears throat> well, that's the thing is like I'm try. I was trying to post podcasts on YouTube, and like YouTube wants YouTube videos, not podcasts. It's not a podcast site, you know. Yeah. So it makes not sense. Not yet. Not yet. It's, yeah, I think it, it, it's coming. It'd be cool if they had. Yeah, I think Seriously, it's coming. Spotify, Spotify yeah. is doing videos. It was so well with Joe Rogan. I don't know if you've watched one, but it's like it plays as a normal podcast. So even if you're not watching the video, it's there in the background, and then you just turn it on, and then there's the video. I think that's yeah. a, a nice workflow. But, um, anyways, going on a tangent here. R five C. Uh, you mentioned it. Do you own a C seventy? I know you may have had one do you have one still i do not have one still but uh, okay. i sold it to a really close friend who's here in the city so if i ever need it i know where to go to the get city it. of dallas i'm just kidding. no uh, definitely not the city of dallas um <laughs> no i mean i so i i loved the c70 initially i rented it and fell in love with it really quick and as quickly as I fell in love with it after having it, like owning it and taking it out on a couple more jobs, I fell out of love with it. And the main reason being is what I needed it to do. I mean, at the time I already had the Komodo, so that was my cinema camera. 
So I was looking for something that was like, you know, had the audio inputs on it, you know, was pretty small, lightweight, could be a great YouTube camera. Um, and when I shot with the C70, the problem I kept coming into was just like, I never loved the look. And then as far as being a YouTube camera, it was just too big. And one of the biggest problems was that it could not take photos. Now, I know everyone's going to say, Brandon, it's a cinema camera. You don't want it to take photos. But I'm not saying that. That's why I'm saying. Like, it's not that the C70 was a bad camera. It just wasn't the right camera for me at the time. And ironically, at the same time, I got a chance to shoot with the FX3. I was one of the lucky people who got it early before Sony actually announced it. And what I really liked about it was it had all the things I was looking for out of the C70. It had, you know, the XLR top handle. It had, you know, amazing video quality because it was basically an A7S III. Um, but then they also allowed it to take photos. It had a full shutter, real shutter, um, just like you could do with uh, the A7S III or an A7 III or really any other Sony mirrorless cameras. Uh, and so for that reason, I went ahead and left the C70 and decided I was going to, you know, dabble back into the Sony ecosystem a little bit because I was looking for that perfect YouTube camera. My problem, again, becomes, you know, just my world, right? I have the Komodo, which is an RF mount. I have the V-Raptor, which is an RF mount. As I mentioned, we do have an R6 that one of my team members owns that we use a lot for BTS. That's also an RF mount. Uh, and we have tons of EF lenses that we use uh, as far as like that we adapt to our cinema cameras. Uh, and so... My FX3 has been great, but I only have one lens for it and only one way to use it, and that's with the 24-70G Master. So now that Canon has announced this basically smaller C70 that gives me all the things that I was looking for, but it also now actually has like a true photo mode and a true video mode, I, I mean, I don't think it's really a hot take, but I do believe that the the... Uh, what is it? The five R five C R five C. I hate all these letters and number. It's really like the, it's, it's it's the real true update to this camera. The, it really is. I mean, the one DC. It is. It's it's a. I I've looked at a ton of the videos and I can't wait to get my hands on one. But I do believe that this is not only going to be probably one of the most you know sought after cameras out there, but I do think it is probably the first true. This is probably my first time saying this on camera. I think this is probably one of the first true hybrid cameras and probably going to be the perfect camera for most shooters. Mm. I mean, I think whether you do weddings or you're a content creator, because of the size of it, because of the actual switch from photo to video, mm -hmm. um, and you have, a, you have a high megapixel photography camera, you have an 8K at 60 frames per second, which nobody needs 8K, honestly, but... If you have it, it's nice. Uh, but it has 8K at 60 frames per second. Like, I just think this camera is going to slaughter. And, <laughs> and, the I, RF, I mean, and the RF system is great. I mean, the lenses, I, I hope they continue to make more lenses. That's the problem yeah. right now. Um, I also wish third parties like Tamron, who has the, the Tamron has that amazing 28 to 75 to 8 that they have on yeah. Sony and panasonic like i would love to see that sigma i would love to see Sig sigma doing some art series rf lenses i don't know why anybody's not 
I don't know why people aren't doing RF, but I, anyways, I mean, we got to think Sony's Sony's been around for a long time and we just the, well, now, and we really just game. now in, in the, the mirrorless, mirrorless game. game. Right. Yeah. And we really are like, you know, Tamron is starting to drop some really amazing Sony lenses, but that E-mount has been around for years at this point. Yeah. And the RF is still fairly new. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think eventually we'll get some more of those third party uh, manufacturers hopping in and making some lenses and then it'll yeah, really just course. blow up those Canon systems. Cause that's one of the mm-hmm. hardest things like for me, like people rec- they're like, Oh, what camera do you recommend? And I really want to recommend a lot of RF cameras, but they don't have a lot of inexpensive lenses to go with them. You know, like the, the RP is a fantastic starter camera, but all the lenses are so expensive. You almost can't justify buying an RP because you can't really get a good lens at a decent price to go with it. So um, well, I do have the, uh, was it that 35 one eight or something? That's pretty decent. Yeah, it's like, I, uh, I just feel like if you're buying, bucks. I feel like if you're buying a, an inexpensive camera like that, you know relatively inexpensive camera like that you're gonna want a decent zoom lens you need more focal yeah. ranges out they of one the, versus they're doing just... the nifty 50 now they they have the nifty 50 200 bucks for the 50 18 uh, yeah. for rf now so that's that's good that's a good starter point but Do yeah they i have mean, like right. a 28 to like you know like a like a 24 to 105 that's not yeah. an r that's not an l series lens you know something in yeah. that range they do that... but it's awful it's well i mean <laughs> so it's a kit lens it's it's an f4 to get this 7.1 Ooh. on the tight end i've never heard oh. such a ridiculous aperture shift four to seven one oh on a kit lens but could you that imagine is... if you had everything you wanted to shoot you had to have the aperture at the at the smallest 7.1 <laughs> usually the kit lens is like uh three five to five six that's usually right. what it is yeah, yeah, yeah five five six like i actually use five six like i often will go there especially on full frame if i just want things to be in focus um, yeah <clears throat> so i never found that to be too bad for a kit lens but a seven one? one that's awful <laughs> <laughs> there's no anyways, shallow depth there <laughs> yeah even with the compression but you're totally right and like i w- wish i could recommend the original eos r and or eos as you're supposed to say it oh, um i'm always I, gonna get that wrong <laughs> i think i owned like two or three of them at, throughout my youtube career and i even owned the 15 to 35 rf which is a brilliant lens i love that thing it's huge and it's expensive but the fact that it's not even 16, it's 15 to eight mm. with IS built in is pretty cool. Um, but I hate the R like I hate the buttons. I hate the little touch yeah. strip. Um, I don't like anything about like the body feels good in the hand, but like they drop the ball on the build of that thing. So I hope they make yeah. up, like an R2. That's kind of the basic like it, you, they need like a good kind of 5D version. I guess the R6 is that now. Yeah, I, guess, I would say but. the R6 is that. I mean, really, I think eventually you'll see like the the 70D, the 80D, the 90D. I think we'll see those phase out, and then there'll be an RF version that sits in there. Like I said, like a like an RP line, like the RP2, the RP3. Like I think we'll see like an RP line of of cameras because. Honestly, I feel like Canon needs to 100% step away from DSLRs. The technology is done. Like, okay, let's scrap it. Let's move everything into RF. So now they can like 100% just devote some time to some inexpensive RF lenses. Like we've got the, you know, the Trinity, you know, the 15 to 35, the 24 to 70, and then 70 to 200. 
which I have the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200 and they are fantastic lenses and that's great. And we've got a couple primes like the 50, the 85. Um, but I think, you know, and this is obviously, these are not lenses that I would buy, but they're lenses that I'd like to recommend to other people. And they're just some inexpensive are, you know, good RF lenses that can go with some of those more budget friendly cameras. Totally. So, I totally agree with the R5C discussion we were having earlier. It's truly the best hybrid camera I've ever seen because not only is it like giving you the ability to shoot video and photo like every mirrorless camera has been able to um, this entire you know time, but it's like a true um, menu and UI shift. Like it's actually yeah. when you go over to the photo mode and it's a true like switch to a camera icon switch. And then you literally physically switch it to video when yeah. you're in the photo mode, you can only take photos. I don't even think you can pop out of a video at all. You literally have to physically go to video, which I kind of like for my mental mind model. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, when you're in the photo mode, it's the traditional Canon photo menu layout, which is super intuitive. It's one of the best menu systems I've ever used. And it's kind of what, a lot of people know Canon for it's it's fairly straightforward, and most people who have shot on Canon all know how to use it. It's basically just an R5 at that point. You switch it over to the video mode, and now you're in cinema mode, and the menus are just like my C70. It's the same right. menu system, which honestly, I kind of like the photo one a little bit better, if I'm being <laughs> honest. But I, you know, it it just makes sense the way that they've designed that, and it's really cool. The one kind of thing that I didn't realize is they did remove IBIS from it. So it doesn't have stabilization anymore, but um, almost <sighs> yeah. all the lenses have IS and their digital yeah. stabilization isn't terrible. So, yeah, I've honestly, I've never been a huge fan of internal stabilization. I understand why people like it, but as someone, I guess, who's used like uh, mostly cinema cameras for so long, like whether that was with the Blackmagic, the Komodo or now the Raptor, like. I'm just used to not having it. And I do find that when I go back to like, even with my FX3 that has pretty decent in-body image stabilization, like when you're shooting on some of those wider lenses, you just get this wobble and you can't get rid of it. And I would rather have a little bit more shake than that, you know, rolling. It's not really rolling shutter, but just that rolling of the, the frame. Like it just wobbles, especially in those corners. And so, you know, for me personally, I'm okay with not having stabilization in the camera. The lens is a great place to have it. So if you want to use those RF lenses, this is, you know, you have it. But then I'm also of the mindset that like, hey, if this shot needs to be stable, because you're doing video, right? If this shot needs to be stable, throw it on a gimbal. Like gimbals are so advanced now that like you're more than okay but then worst case scenario, like you mentioned, it has the digital stabilization, which does a better job in most cases than that wobble that you would get. But then also, if you throw that in Premiere and you throw warp stabilizer on it, or if you throw it in Final Cut and you just throw stabilization on it, those also do like a really, really good job. So I think, you know, that little sacrifice is not really too, too much in the video space. The only time I would say that that stabilization really comes in handy is on the photography if you're trying to bracket shoot something handheld. Yeah, I think that's really where the stabilization on the sensor uh, came from is it was a photography tool um, to allow, I think it initially started with Olympus, actually, they kind of pioneered it. And, um, you know, for a micro four third sensor, it allowed 
people to actually shoot at like really slow shutter speeds and still have a sharp image mm. uh, because it basically just makes the sensor float in midair and stay perfectly stable as your hand is wobbling around. So um, it just so happened that it was a cool feature for video, but you're right. Like um, unless there's a digital stabilization on top of the IBIS to correct some of the wobble, it's you get that wobble going crazy. Have you experimented with the Sony with the active stabilization? Cause there's like three levels of it. I think if you go to the active mode, it does take some of that wobble out. I don't know if you've experimented with it. No, I haven't done too much experimenting because as I mentioned, like, you know, the the FX3 is really more of our YouTube camera. We shoot a lot of like content, like that kind of stuff for it. Or if we're shooting, you know, now we're shooting Instagram reels for clients. Um, <laughs> so if we're shooting that type of client, that type of work. We'll break out the FX3 for it. But it really is more of just like our YouTube camera vlog kind of with it, shoot some BTS with it. Um, I think it's a really great hybrid camera. And then up until this new Canon being announced, I thought it was the best hybrid camera that was out. But Canon has definitely come out with something that is, you know, I think it'll shake up the game quite a bit. Uh, Obviously, some creators have gotten their hands on it. Not everyone has yet. I'm really excited for when I can get my hands on it. But if it's anything like just the regular R5, um, and now it just doesn't overheat and it's got a better video mode. Um, I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I can't wait. I, I can't wait to get my hands on one. I may exchange my C70 for one, honestly, as much as I love having the built-in NDs, I think having a hybrid camera, especially as primarily a video slash hybrid shooter slash YouTuber, like it's just even just being out and about shooting on a camera that looks more like a stills camera it's just a little less unassuming and a little bit more stealthy. Um, yes. That being said, the C70 doesn't look too bad, but I've still had people walk up and it's that top handle. People see mm. that top handle on there. We've had to strip it down and just make it look like a big DSLR. I can <laughs> say that's back to the your other question about, you know, what are some issues you run into with having a red? Uh you go anywhere with the red and you're bound to get kicked out. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You can just be walking with it. It draws attention. The Komodo, not so much, but the Raptor, definitely. And it being white doesn't help. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. But oh, yeah, I no, I'd... yeah, I actually haven't even like thought about it, but you do have the special edition Stormtrooper version, which is super cool. Yeah, I've got it right here. And I didn't go with the white one with the Komodo. And I kicked myself for not doing that. <laughs> like I, I stuck around it's and waited so cool, for, the, for the black one. So uh, with this one, I went ahead and grabbed the white one. And there are companies now that are coming out with wraps for every camera. So I figured let's get the white one. And then if I choose to wrap it and turn it black, if I need to, because it needs to be on a professional set or something like that, um, then I can do that. But I've had no problems with it being white, being on no, set. I think Honestly, I think it looks pretty like BA and like people on set are going to think it's awesome. So yeah, I, heck, I, I mean, that's the camera that every client walks up and they're like, you got the white Yo, camera? what is that? <laughs> like, why is your cam? What is that camera? How much is that camera? I get all those yeah. questions. It looks like a, that's what I love about red. And I think they know that they, they, they design it like intentionally to be very sci-fi in a way. Like they don't have to make it look so extreme, <laughs> um, but that's part uh, of their branding. And it makes oh, yeah. you, it makes you look like a boss when you show up on set with those cameras. Cause they look like they're from the future. Yeah. And I mean, people who don't even do video know what they are. It's crazy. Actually it was funny. 
as to kind of go all back full circle back to the top when we talked about red when i showed up on one set and i was shooting with the komodo uh i had a client walk up and and or he walked up and he was looking at the camera he goes that's one of those red cameras and i was like yeah he goes that's the camera marquez uses and like i was just like wow this guy knows red but from a youtuber that's crazy i wonder but how yeah. many yeah I, I wonder how close i know that marquez gets stuff sent to him and he has a good relationship with them but um i think you know i think he's bought everything but still yeah um, i'm sure he's sold a lot of them as well as as a influencer for red in a way <laughs> yeah so. i mean i know for me i see him you know use the red and that definitely motivated me i remember the first video actually i ever found of marquez's was years ago he got the red raven and that was a video of his that I might have seen some of his other videos, but like it was, I remember specifically when he did the video about the Red Raven, I was like, who is this guy? And I started <laughs> watching more of his content. I've been watching it ever since. You're so, you're so right about Red once you start using it from the, obviously using it on the shoot day is one thing, but once you start using it in post-production, that's really where the magic of it shines. The it's kind of almost hard to explain uh, on a podcast. You really need to have experience with it. And Red does provide downloads on their website yeah. from all their cameras, so you can download a couple of trial shots and and play with it in whatever editor you use. In Final Cut, Premiere, and Resolve, they all have support um, with the raw codecs. And the thing that makes Red different than any other raw compared to Blackmagic is the fact that they, I mean, first off, they were kind of first, and they have a ton of patents on all this stuff. So mm -hmm. A lot of companies like Blackmagic and um, ProRes Raw, like they're not able to do a lot of the things that Red can do because I think Red has a patent on it. And uh, Cinema DNG is really good in Resolve, but it's not very good anywhere else um, because Blackmagic designs it and it's great for them. But like using DNG in Final Cut or using Canon's Raw in final cut and not their own proprietary app it just you don't get all the same features like being able to change the iso and the white balance and the the color profiles and red just has amazing color and they spend tons of money developing different color profiles that all have their own unique um flavor to them and they're incredible um can you speak to that as far as the editing process yeah with the red? i mean I mean, that's what I was actually about to jump in and say, like, that's one area like the like. So like we talk about the color profiles, which, you know, once you kind of know what color profile you're going to use, you pretty much stick to it. But like something that I found really interesting, especially because, as I mentioned, we got this brand new monitor in and it's an HDR monitor, which means now we can actually like, you know, truly see our HDR content. But like for since basically from, from the beginning, we shot everything in a Rec. 709 color space because that's where everything was. But now, like, iPhones are starting to come out and they can support HDR video. So that means now you can technically work in a Rec. 2020 color space and start taking advantage of HDR and you can actually have people play that back on their iPhones. Now... Are we there yet 100%? I don't think so. But what I love most about filming on RED is that everything that I've currently filmed in RED RAW, at any moment's notice, any moment in time, I can go back to those edits and literally just change my RAW metadata from REC 709 to REC 2020. And it's literally going to give me 
like HDR. And it's and it's that easy. It's literally a snap. Literally, you click, you drag, you snap your fingers, it's done. And I think that is so huge when it comes to future-proofing your video content because I can create content for what's happening today. And then in the future, when HDR becomes the norm, if I need to go back to an old video to re-export it out to take advantage of HDR, I can do that. And it's so nice to have that type of flexibility in a raw space. And there's not another set of raw i've tried prores raw with multiple different cameras and setups because that's one thing that i didn't realize at first with prores raw is not all prores raw is created equal like one camera will give you the ability to change the iso and then another camera will give you the ability to change white balance and then another camera won't give you either like it's weird it's not true raw and you can't change color spaces the same thing happens with Black Magic Raw. Like if you're shooting Black Magic Raw on one of the Black Magic cameras specifically, like depending on where you are in the ISO range when you actually capture that image, you can only play so much within that ISO range. Like you're locked either in the front half or the back half and it limits you quite a bit. And what I love about Red Raw is that you don't have those limitations. And then if Red figures out, let's say in like six months from now, Red just figures out a better way of doing color. All you have to do is update your your camera and you update your red setting or you just add the new plugin and literally all the raw footage that you already shot now gets access to that new color processing. And now that's the way that your image looks and now you can take advantage of that update. That's what Red Raw really gives you. And so for me, it's not only the benefit that we get today from the benefits of where Raw is with, with Red Raw, but it's also knowing that like six years from now, like the technology will get better. And because we filmed it in Red Raw, we'll be able to take advantage of those benefits, you know, six years from now. Obviously, there's still the limitations of the camera and what gets captured to the sensor, but the red sensors are amazing. But it's also knowing that that raw data that it's actually capturing can be altered in the future. So that's kind of one of the huge benefits and one of the big pluses of shooting red raw over any other type of raw out there. And again, it's um, if I didn't mention it already, it actually runs really well. Like on the machine, they've really yeah. optimized it well. Um, whereas some of the other uncompressed raws, like really, is a big taxing you know thing on your computer. That being said, I haven't use some of those older legacy raw codecs on the new M1 Max maxed out. Like obviously now I, I, you know, computers have gotten better too. So things have been able to catch up. That being said, um, I've always found red to play pretty, you know, smoothly for all, you know, all things being said in terms of, you know, 4k, 6k, even 8k, um, Mm -hmm. being able to play that back in final cut is surprisingly easy. And, uh, a lot of times people think like, oh, wouldn't raw files be ridiculously massive? And it's like, well, yeah, if it's uncompressed, it would be unreasonably massive. But Red's compression is so efficient that you can actually shoot at a high compression rate and your files may come in actually smaller than what you're getting on a Sony a7S III. You know, yeah, it's really pretty amazing what they're able to do with their compression. Yeah, we find we find that like, you know, uh shooting on shooting at first we were like oh maybe we'll have to shoot in prores for big projects but we find that you know the raw is actually fairly manageable 
you know, it's not, it's not too difficult. The file sizes are not insane. Um, and that's shooting in 8k raw, you know, and 6k raw. So we, we find that those work out perfectly fine. So one of the main things that's happened this last year is you've been able to really dial in your freelance production. Um, last time I talked to you, you did not have employees. I do not think you were making as much money as you're making now. What happened? What, like what triggered the growth of your business to get to a point now where you've got employees and all these clients? Yeah. So, um, so what I did was, uh, kind of back up just a little bit. So on my YouTube channel, I had this, like I was doing freelance video work. I was doing it by myself hundred percent and trying to post on YouTube and I knew the things that I needed to do. And so I decided I wanted to start helping other creators. And I started coming out with this thing called Business Mondays. And every Monday I was talking about a new business tip, whether that was how to find clients, how to invoice clients, something that I was personally going through at the time in order to help my business grow. And I decided at a certain point that I had been teaching a lot about it, but like I had never really like actually grabbed everything myself and put it all together and just focused on growing my business, you know, like take all the things I talked about, whether that was like following up or how to invoice properly or systematizing the business or, you know, reaching out to new clients or whatever. And I decided I was just going to hone in really, really hard on just growing my business and see if I put all my efforts towards that, could I actually really grow it into where I wanted it to be? And the funny thing is, is that like, I found a couple of things that one, you don't need a ton of clients. You just need to focus on finding the right clients. And that was a huge area where I focused in the most. Uh, the second thing was that I started trying to hire people or bring people into the fold as quickly as I could before I needed them. And what that allowed me to do was to really kind of relieve a lot of the pressure. And instead of being up until, you know, two o'clock in the morning trying to knock out an edit, I could actually get a good night rest, wake up the next morning, know that someone was going to help me edit the next day, and I could focus on finding the next client and growing the business. Uh, and so that was the second thing that I did. And then, like I said, the third thing was just having certain goals set in mind and then just kind of like building out plans on how to get to those goals. And, you know, realizing that, you know, along the path, it's not always going to go great. I might run into a hurdle here or there, but learning from those hurdles and then figuring out like a system to make sure that I don't have to deal with those same issues again. And it was going through that process over basically the last two years. And like over that process, I'd made some videos here and there, like when, you know, COVID hit and all that happened to us, we changed our business model slightly and started offering live streams like temporarily just to kind of get through that phase. So instead of shutting down, we offered a new service and that brought in new clients. And because now I had a system on how to take care of those clients, it made it easier for me to nourish those relationships. So when things started opening back up, I not only had, you know, my existing clients who came back, but then I also had my new clients who came in and we were able to nourish all those relationships and build out a system to where I can honestly say now, like we can take on 
as much work as we could possibly have thrown to us because we have a system in place on how to actually manage it all. Um, and it really just came on just going 100% in on that. But ironically, at the same time, we're also trying to continue this YouTube side of things because I just have an internal passion for teaching. I just I see so many creators out there who are extremely talented, but they either struggle in the business aspect or they just don't know what to do, um, whether that's how to film or how to run it as a business. And so I've always just had like this passion to try to help as many creators as I can like whether that's, you know, friends like you, where I'm telling you like, hey, like you should definitely do a clips channel and do it. Just go like I want to see other creators thrive. That's just I don't know. That's just always been a part of it because I guess I saw so many talented creators that couldn't do it. And every time I saw that, it kind of hurt me. So I was just like, man, I got to figure out a way to help as many creators as I can. So that's why we've never you know, walked away from YouTube and we've even built like a whole training course platform specifically to trying to even go even deeper because, you know, you can't really do too much on YouTube. There are bounds. So it's like, all right, we need to figure out another way that we can teach creators how to really take advantage of this art form that we have because it's extremely valuable. Like people need it. They have to have it at this point. It's not a nice to have. It's actually a necessity. Like you have to have content. So I'm just trying to help as many creators as I can and grow my team in the same process. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the courses. And that's one of the reasons why I have you on the show today is because I was really curious uh, with what you're doing with that. But I want to go back to what you said at the really the beginning of that, finding the right clients. Can you elaborate on that? Who are the right clients for you? That you were so looking for, for me, I've, I kind of define the right client as, you know, a client that I would like to work with who can afford our budget. <laughs> so there is, there is, you know, there is a kind of a, a balancing act there. You know, there was a point in time where I was taking clients that had great budgets, but I didn't like doing their work. So I spent more time doing it because I was dreading it most of the time, or I was putting off the edit, which meant that I was stuck with them even longer. Um, and they were depleting me creatively to where I didn't even want to move on to another project because I felt like I just needed a break when I was done with them. On the flip side of that, I had people that I loved working with, but they didn't have the right budget. So that meant I was having to work five times as hard on a project and make, you know, five times less than I should be. And that meant I had to just do so much more work that I still end up burnt out anyway. So what I found for me that really worked was, you know, I found an area that I work well in, which in my space is commercials, right? So I don't do weddings. I don't do, uh, you know, bat mitzvahs. <laughs> I, I don't do, I don't typically work on weekends either. I like working with like business clients because let's face it, I like business. I love, I love business myself. Um, I also love business hours because my clients are only going to want to shoot on Monday through Friday between like nine and five, which are great hours for me to be working because that means I get a chance to spend my evenings with my kids. I get a chance to spend my weekends with my family and my wife. And, you know, I have that flexibility. So it's like, okay, these are the right clients. And they also happen to have a, a decent budget. So I don't typically work with like 
beginner, beginner startups because they don't have the right budget. I try to go after clients that have a more established, you know, track record. They have a billing department. They have a marketing budget. So like when we start talking about finances, it's not a foreign concept to them. So it was really about finding, you know, that perfect space for me. I tried music videos, not for me. They want to shoot at night and it's too rowdy for me. I'm getting older. I'm like, no, thanks. I'm moving on. Uh, and you know, it's just really about finding what you want to do. Now, if you like shooting on the weekends because you want to have a day job and you want to shoot on weekends, then great. You need to go find clients that will allow you to shoot on weekends, but then don't, you know, don't neglect that budget piece. Like I think one of the biggest, you know, sins that creators make is we undervalue ourselves. And I know I'm 100% guilty of it. That's the reason why I speak on it so openly. You know, I was one of those guys that, shot for free for a while. And then when I tried to convince my client to pay me and they were like, ah, oh, we're not really sure. And I would spend so much time trying to get them to pay me when I just needed to realize that, okay, that client is not the right client for me anymore. Let me spend my energy going and actually finding the right client. So uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think a lot of us can relate. I was just kind of like nodding along just not nodding along as in like falling asleep. I was nodding along in agreement. And uh, I struggle with that. Um, <clears throat> the thing that stands out to me and the, the the thing that I struggle with is the art form of creating films and videos. And that's why I latched onto YouTube so heavily and just freaking love it. Cause it for me as a artist in air quotes, um, it was the first time where I really felt like I could completely be in control of the videos I was making and there's no uh, producers, there's no gatekeepers involved. It's literally like I make something, I upload it, audience reacts, they either love it or hate it. Thankfully, some people loved it enough to subscribe, which then led to sponsors and stuff like that. You obviously have experienced that too as a YouTuber and now you know you're so heavily involved in the commercial stuff what is kind of your takeaway from kind of being in both worlds and you know obviously you're making i assume you're making more money now doing the commercial work than when you were doing youtube that being said do, do you prefer one over the, over the other do you think there'll ever be a point where if the youtube were to take off more you would just like put that away completely or a little bit of both? I mean, I mean, what are your I thoughts? enjoy doing commercial. What I like about YouTube and being able to generate, you know, income from YouTube is that it allows me to be more selective with the commercial projects that I choose to take on. Um, that's one of the big things I tell most creators is try to diversify your income as best you can, because if you get all of your projects strictly from, or you get all of your finances coming in strictly from client projects, then you have no choice. You, you have to take whatever comes across the table. But if you can diversify a little bit with YouTube or if you, you know, something completely different, it could be not even camera related. Um, it just allows you to be a little bit more selective about the client projects you take. But I do enjoy a lot of the client projects at this point in my career. I don't really take the ones that I don't like anymore, and I love that. Um, if YouTube was just 
you know, bankrolling and I was absolutely crushing it, I think I would probably still take some client projects because I have found like this really happy medium of being able to shoot client projects and then take that knowledge and then teach about it on YouTube. And so, um, you know, my clients, uh, part of one of the things that we negotiate is that we're going to shoot behind the scenes and I'm going to take that content and use it to teach online. And, you know, I've only ever had to sign like maybe a handful of NDAs here and there where we didn't do that. Um, but typically then I charge more to, you know, offset the fact that I can't then go ahead and turn that into more content somewhere else. But I mean, for me, I, I like shooting commercial projects, at least the ones that I choose to take. But I also love YouTube and I think it's okay to do both. Uh, obviously, that means, you know, I'm, if that if that sacrifice of doing both means that I'll never be the number one filmmaking YouTube channel on the platform, I'm okay with that because I think, you know, by shooting client stuff sometimes, at least for me, it allows me to go into shoots and do things that I wouldn't have even considered doing. Because sometimes clients will call us and they'll be like, yeah, we've got this great idea. We want to reenact an SNL skit, which we actually just edited. And I was like, okay. Like I would have never thought to do that myself or would have ever put that production together even for my YouTube channel. But it was really fun and we learned a lot from it. So, you know, it's like little things like that where I still think there's a lot of value in that collaboration process. Like sure, YouTube is great because you have full 100% control. But I also like the idea of collaborating with a lot of my clients uh, and shooting things and traveling and doing things that I wouldn't have probably just done on my own. How do you find those clients that are right for you? Um, do you just like cold email people? Do you, you know, you know, somebody who knows something like, how, yeah, how did so, you end up I mean, booking now, those clients? Now I'll say that, you know, most of, if not almost all of our work comes from word of mouth of some sort. Uh, we've made some really great relationships. And that's one big tip I would tell you is that um, make good relationship with your clients because most likely your clients' friends are also people that you would like to work with too. Because uh, if you like your client, you'll probably like your, their friends. But the when you're just starting out, I would say, you know, there, we kind of go over this in the course, and so uh, I'll kind of give a, a, a shorter version of this because it's a fairly long-winded answer. But um, what you want to do is you want to try to find, you know, first of all, what industry do you want to work in? Definitely start with like a niche, right? So let's say you want to work in the the uh, fitness gym industry. You want to shoot gyms, right? But there are lots of different gyms. So you narrow in on CrossFit gyms. You say, okay, I'm going to shoot CrossFit gyms. So then you got to figure out how to get those clients. Well, you got to go to where those clients are. And that's either digitally or in real life. Now, they might have social platforms, right? But if you go to their social media pages and they don't seem very engaged or not responding to comments, they don't have a lot of followers, then they're probably not that good at social media. So messaging them there is probably a waste of time. So then your option is to go actually see them in person and bring something to show them, whether that's an iPad that has a demo reel on it, something like that. Bring them something that you, you can show what you're capable of. But the secret is when you are cold calling people about offering your video service, don't tell them that you're just going to shoot a video for them because this is something that I actually posted on Instagram not too long ago. And that's people don't buy videos. They don't like 
the video is a solution to a problem, whether that is a marketing problem or it's a sales problem or it's a brand awareness problem, whatever it is, the video is just a solution to the problem. So when you go pitch your videos to them, you need to be solving a problem and tell them a potential problem you could help them solve when you go meet them in person. And that's going to immediately let you stand out from every other videographer out there who's like, hey, hire me. I shoot in 4K. They don't care about 4K. Like, they just don't. I'm just I'm just going to be 100% real with you. No client cares about 4K. They, if, they, if they say they care about 4K, it's because they care about quality, in which I can guarantee you, if you shoot in the dark in 4K and you give me three lights and a 1080p camera, they'll think my footage looks like 4K over yours. So that's just that's just the truth. Clients don't, they don't pay for videos, they pay for solutions. And once you start selling solutions, you'll you'll immediately make a huge difference in your business. Dude, that was a great tease and a, a great trailer for your course. Um, <laughs> Can I which, get this as a clip? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, dude. Dude, I yeah that that was killer, and I'm I'm sure that you know it's you have all that so well crafted in your mind because you've been working on this course. So now that's a great segue into the course. Talk to me about uh, what you've been working on and who the course is really for. Yeah, so we created the course. It's called the Business Guide for Creative Professionals. Uh, and it's over on my platform at the Creative Fame Academy. And this course is really for filmmakers and photographers, too, who are looking to really take their hobby as a creator and turn it into a business with the primary focus right now of shooting content for other businesses. And so whether that's weddings or whether that's commercial or whether that's music videos, whatever it is, if you are trying to sell your skill as a creator to another business or, or company or even an individual, this course is really for you. And in this course, we go over a lot. I mean, we talk about how to find clients and the different ways and really the mindset behind it. Because for me, it's kind of the old additive, you know, you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. My 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 idea is that I want to teach you guys the right mindset. And it's very straightforward. Like I just was very blunt. This course is very blunt because at the end of the day, you are trying to run a business and there are certain things you have to know, like how to set it up. Should you be a DBA? Should you be an LLC? Should you be an S Corp? Do you need your EIN number? Like we go over all the actual details of establishing the business, but then we get into the how to get your clients, how to stand out as a creator. What are clients looking for? What are the problems that as you know myself, as a creator who's been in this business for years, what have I come across and how did I overcome them? And then one of the big ones, probably our biggest section in the course, is we start talking about how to systematize your business. Because I think for most of us as creators, we don't actually like doing the business side of it. We just do it out of a necessity because it's what allows us to get to the creative part, right? Like we deal with the clients, we deal with the invoices, we deal with the contracts, but we don't want to do those things. We just have to. And I walk you guys through how to actually go about systematizing your business and what to look for in ways of how to systematize your business and 
as simple as, you know, doing it for a, a cheap, inexpensive way. And then I, I talked to you guys about the way that like now I have done it, which does co- require some software. But I walk you guys through like, you know, that entire process. So that way you can get to the creative one. And then my favorite actual module in the entire course is I talk to you about how to actually price your work. And this module to me was one of the hardest ones to to do and to come up with because every creator can tell you like, oh yeah, there's a perfect price. But the truth is, is there's not a perfect price. There's no perfect price. Like I don't care what calculator, some other software told you like, oh, just punch in your numbers here and it'll tell you how much you should charge a client. There's no perfect price because depending on where you live, depending on what you shoot, depending on your skill level, like there's no perfect price. There's so many variables. So instead of trying to get this perfect calculator to try to tell you how much you should charge, I really walk you through how to acknowledge those different variables and then assign value to those variables. So then you can find a price that works not only for you, but also for your clients because you don't want to overcharge a client to where you lose them but you'd also don't want to undercharge the project to where you are devalued either. And so we go over all that in this course. It's, you know, it's, it was a lot, it was a labor of love and it's really, it's all the things that over the last couple of years that I have like just been diving head first in, it's all tested through my own business. And it's the reason why my company is where it is today, where I have employees and we've upgraded gear and bought new cameras and new lights and, and I've been able to do all the things I always wanted to do, but I had to build a business first that could actually, you know, sustain me making all the differences and all the changes that I've made over the last couple of years. Well, dude, I uh, I don't know what I have to do to get a copy. I guess I got to shell out 150, which, by the way, is unbelievably a <laughs> uh, killer deal for all the information you're sharing there because... That is absolutely the number one issue that I think many creatives struggle with is the business. And um, I know for me personally, that is absolutely my issue. Um, Taxes, figuring out how to, you know, invoice people, forgetting to literally forgetting to invoice people. How many people by show of hands have done a job? And then like literally a month goes by and they're like, Hey, where's the invoice? And it's like, right. Oh yeah. The one thing that I need to actually do to get paid. I need the money. <laughs> yeah, like, no, so it happens. I mean, and that's why, you know, we built a whole system around it. I mean, we're, we're, and the nice thing I love about this course is, as you mentioned, like right now it's priced at one fifty, And that's because our goal with all the courses on my platform is you should be able to book one job and the course be paid off. Like, I don't believe in going in crazy amounts of debt. I just want to put out content that people can learn from and people can immediately take hold of. And if you use the things that we talk about in the course, the course will pay for itself in no time. That's it's It should be an easy investment. But also, you know, this course right now, like we we have it where it is and we're getting feedback from it and we've done this soft launch. So it's 150 now, right? But that's during our soft launch. So if you're listening to this far in the future and you're like, hey, wait a minute, the price went up. That's because the course got better. And that's what we've been doing. We've been soft launching this course now and getting some, you know, some great feedback from people. And really a lot of the, fee- the feedback that we've been getting is that the information is in like, it's so informationally dense 
that people are like watching it like multiple times and taking notes because business, there's a lot to it. And so we tried to, you know, get it all in there and answer all the questions that we've been given. Like we literally went back and watched every single Business Monday video I released on my channel and we read every single comment and we made sure that all of those questions also were addressed at some point within the course because these are the things that people have been asking for. And so we wanted to make sure that we created something that would solve a true creator problem. It wasn't just like a cash grab. It's really there to solve the problem. It's something that I'm so proud of that like if somebody reaches out to me and they ask me a question, I know I can send them to this course and that question will be answered. Yeah. So if you're listening and any of this sounds uh, appealing to you, which I think this is this resonates for so many creators, um, go pick it up now on the creativefamacademy.com. Go to Courses, Business Guide for Creative Professionals. Like he said, it's 150 now because of the soft launch. Uh, more content is being added and the, uh, the price may go up in the future. So buy it now if you want it. Um, yeah, yeah, the nice part is if you buy it now, we're just going to add the, the new content to the existing course. So you'll just get an email that lets you know, hey, your course has been upgraded. And like we've done this before, like with our um, with our real estate training course, we shot new houses. And so we added bonus content to that course as well. So it's something that we try to do with all of our courses. Instead of trying to keep releasing new courses after new courses, if we create something new that is like that we can use within an existing course, we just add it in there. So that way the people who've already invested in it now get that extra little dose of you know content. So yeah, if you take advantage of it now, you'll 100% get the new content that we add to it in the future. And we already have like a full mapped out plan of things that we want to add to it. So we're going to get ready to start uh, producing those real soon. Awesome. Yeah, we're all looking forward to it. Everybody go follow Brandon on social media, Brandon Washington, BWash Media everywhere. Um, I want to get your thoughts at the end here about YouTube and TikTok, uh, YouTube shorts, TikTok, just YouTube in general. Um, what are your current kind of thoughts on things 2022? I mean, things have changed a lot since when we initially met in 2019, even, which really yeah. isn't that many years, but in three years, uh, is it, is it only three years? I feel like I've known you for more than three years, but I know it does. I guess it's it? only yeah. about three and a half, but anyways, um, it's almost four. I think this April will be four, but 19, 20, 21, 22. No, it's three. I don't know. I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> no, what are your thoughts on, I just went to public education here in Tennessee. So, um, <laughs> that's my blame. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on just the current status of kind of social media? It feels like everybody's like desperately trying to compete with TikTok. We've got reels, we've got shorts, Snapchat yeah. has their thing. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on just the current platforms? I mean, for me, social media has first and foremost been like a more of a job, right? Like that's the way that it is operated in my life. I don't really have like a personal account. I, I mean, I guess I have one, but I don't, I'm not as active on it. So I look at it 100% from a business standpoint. So just so everyone understands, that's the lens that I'm going to kind of explain my thoughts through. Um, you know, I think TikTok is a lot like Instagram in the early days where it's very easy to grow quickly and to you know amass this um, following 
but the following in and of itself has no value unless you know how to monetize an audience, right? So whether that's selling merch or doing brand deals to that audience, something along those lines, um, that's to me where TikTok really lies, kind of how Instagram was early on. And now it seems like Instagram is trying to kind of catch up and do the whole reels thing to try to get back some of those eyeballs because so many people jumped ship, went to TikTok, and now Instagram's trying to play catch up, right? But where I think YouTube is very uniquely placed is that YouTube actually allows you to monetize your audience in platform, which is a very unique thing that YouTube does. And I think sometimes it gets overshadowed but because on TikTok your video got 2.3 million views but on YouTube your video only got you know a hundred thousand but you actually got paid for those hundred thousand views on YouTube and on TikTok I mean you might be a part of the creator fund but the more people that they add to that fund the less your views are actually worth And so it's a very hard business to try to establish. And so I think sometimes, you know, just as a society, we get caught up in those numbers, right? We get caught up in this many views, this many followers on TikTok versus this many views and this many followers on uh, or subscribers rather on YouTube. But, you know, again, thinking as a creator and thinking about creators trying to create, you know, sustainable businesses, what you really have to think about is where is your financial gain really come from and what is the best option for you? Now, that being said, I personally think that for most creators, that's still YouTube. But I, I don't think that TikTok is like, you know, a bad platform either. I just think that TikTok should be used as part of a system for your for your creative journey, right? Like, so you can go to TikTok, create short form content because yes, you can get a lot of eyes on you and on your brand and on your business. But at the same time, you don't want them to just stay there. You want to be able to try to convert as many of those eyeballs and those viewers over to your other platforms. And in my opinion, one of the big ones should be YouTube. You're already creating video content. Just go ahead and convert them over to YouTube And that's going to give you something that's way more established. But even to go one step further than that, even though I have a YouTube channel, I still have a email list and I have a text chain list. And that's always about just getting my audience in other places. So where, you know, like a couple of weeks ago when Facebook went down, if you needed to promote something on that day, let's say you had a big launch on that day and your whole audience was on Facebook, well, Facebook goes down, your launch is completely ruined and you have no control in that. And so I personally find that like, you know, spreading your audience out as much as you possibly can across different platforms is definitely the way to go. Use TikTok, use Instagram Reels as a quick way to get eyes on your brand, but then put your brand in something a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more established and a way in an area that actually pays you for your views where they share the revenue with you on a, you know, 55 45 split, I believe it is. And that's YouTube right now. And quite honestly, I was just say create YouTube content and then repurpose it for TikTok and Instagram Reels. And that's really the best bang for your buck you can really get as a creator. Financially, it's better. Time-wise, it's better. And you kind of get the best wins from all the different platforms. 
So that's personally where I stand on the matter. Obviously, I look at it 100% through a business lens because I don't care if you're a YouTube creator, a TikTok creator, or you're shooting content for commercial clients or weddings or whatever, you're a creator and you should be able to make a living as a creator. And so I just mentally immediately go to what is the most sustainable business model for a creator when it comes to creation, regardless of that social media or for a client. It's 11 o'clock. Um, we've <laughs> talked for an hour and a half. I really appreciate your time, Brandon. I learned a ton. Everybody go check out um, the amazing courses uh, that you've produced. I'll link it in the show notes and in the description of the video. Thank you, Brandon, for coming on the Golden Hour Podcast yet again. No problem. Thanks for having me.